Thank you, Pastor Shostran, for those kind words. And I'm sure that my, uh, my grandpa would be very proud of that accent because he spoke with that all the time. But before I get into um, the word I feel is for tonight, I want to invite my sister to come on up. Um, and she's going to share a quick word with us. I'll just go right in. Um, this morning, the Lord was kind of speaking to me, and I was kind of pushing it away because I didn't trust it. Um, but I was inspired by Micah's story and his sermon and his transparency. And I've never shared this before, um, so it's a little, it can be difficult to articulate, but I just, if it can help someone out there, that's why I want to share it. The last two years have been the roughest years of my life, the hardest I've ever faced. Um, last year especially, um, there was a huge attack of the enemy on my, on my mental health and my mind. I was attacked with a spirit of depression. I was full of anxiety all the time. I was full of bitterness. I started to despise people that I trusted, that I loved, and I didn't know what was going on. And I was scared, and I was lost, and I was confused, and I didn't know what to do. And it was a spirit of fear, like I've never felt it before. It was something I've never faced to such a great extent anywhere. But I just wanted to say that mid-October last year, at um, our district's fall con that we had, a youth fall convention, I knew I, knew I wasn't in the right spot. And I had been praying, I'd, I'd been trying to pray, but similar to Micah's story, it was hard. It was hard to read the Bible. It was hard to pray. It was hard to worship. And it was, it was just hard to do anything because I felt lost and I felt forsaken. And I didn't know where I was supposed to be or how I was going to get to where he wanted me to be. The last year in October, I went down to the altar, an altar just like this one. And it was deliverance like I've never felt it before. I've never, I've never felt such a powerful move on my heart and on, on me. Nothing like his presence, nothing like that before. It was powerful and people came and prayed for me. I didn't know what they were saying, but I could, I could feel something lifting off of me. A burden that I didn't even know that I was carrying. I knew that I'd gone to altar calls before and I had laid it down at his feet, but I picked it right back up and I walked away with it. And I couldn't, I couldn't leave my bitterness. I couldn't leave my fear. I couldn't leave my depression. But at that altar, at that altar, the Lord spoke to me.
just take a moment to respond to the presence of the Lord in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, you're so good. We give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. There is none like you. I give you all the glory. I give it all to you, God. There's no deliverance like your deliverance. There's no liberty like your liberty. Oh, there's no hope and there's no peace like that in the presence of the living God, like that in the presence of the one true King. God, you're so good. Thank you, Mariah, for sharing that. It was an awesome testimony. Well, tonight I'm going to be reading out of Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13. And out of Romans chapter 12, verse 11. And out of Galatians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. It seems God's putting a lot of things in motion. I, I didn't quite realize that y'all had a 40 days of fire going on. Because it just so happens that tonight I want to talk about catch fire. But in Leviticus 6.13, it says, Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, it says, Not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And the Greek word there for fervent, it's, I think it's pronounced zeo, which can also be translated as boiling or hot, that carries this idea of passion. It's, so it can also be read perhaps as hot in spirit, serving the Lord. In Galatians chapter 4, it says, They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected, always, in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you. And the word there, to be zealously affected, is zelu which is a warmth of feeling for or against, but can convey that same idea of hot passion. If you'll bow your heads and pray with me, Lord, I pray, God, that it will be not my will, but thy will be done. Not my words, but thy words be done, God. I pray, Lord, that you would fall on every person in this congregation, that you would fall on each and every one of us tonight, and that your word would fall on good ground tonight and that it would take root in Jesus name you may be seated I thought it was very interesting I I can be a little bit of a of a nerd sometimes you see I like to look at look at statistics and look at different arguments and things like that and um, a little while ago I was just reading this article that was talking about uh, talking about burnout rates and how easily affected people are nowadays by burnout. People nowadays are more likely than ever as they begin to work and as they begin to, they can start something that they can be so wholly passionate about. They can start something, but yet for some reason, uh, this article, it said burnout and stress are at all time highs across every profession. There's burnout that comes with this 
over-prevailing feeling, it seems, and it seems especially strong in the U.S., especially strong where we're at, that people are more likely than ever to just lose hope. People are more likely than ever to lose passion, and people are more likely than ever to give up, even whenever they started pursuing something that they were so passionate about, that they were sure was their purpose in life, that they were sure was what they were put on this earth to do. But yet, burnout rates are still so high. It seems that throughout life, we are always going to be zealously affected one way or the other. We're going to be passionate about things and we're going to really want to go all in on things. And ultimately, everything that we do, it's going to be serving some other purpose. Even the things that we don't think, we don't really serve anything. Perhaps maybe they just serve our laziness in the moment or perhaps they just serve some other small thing. But everything is going to serve a motive. Everything serves a master. And people, you'll notice, are often very quick to defend things like their lifestyles. They're very quick to defend uh, their master. Even if they're not necessarily proud of the way they live, they are always very quick to defend something. And so they, even, in, uh, even in small things, I talked to one, uh, one person a couple years ago who um, she knew that she was very upset with how she lived. And so um, she, she was upset because it seemed like she never got anything done. And so, well, I asked her, well, you know, what if you, what if you tried just doing something small every day? What if you just, what if you just tried just starting there? And she said, well, yeah, that would be, that would probably be a good thing, but it's like, I, I always do it and it never works out, so I don't think that's it. I said, like, oh, okay, well, what if you started just doing something small, like coming to church? Well, yeah, that would be good too, and that would probably help, but I, I just ultimately, you know, it, it wouldn't really work for me. It just isn't going to, it just wouldn't pan out. And so I was confused because she would always complain about her lifestyle. She would always complain about the way that she lived, but yet she was so unwilling to try to take a step forward, to try to do something else. And so I thought it was a, just a very curious thing, but it was, never, it, was never, it was never me that was to blame for my lifestyle. It was, well, oh, well, I'm, it's, it's just the way that I am. I mean, I was, I was raised this way, so I'm just, you know, I've grown up addicted to that, so that's just, you know, that's just part of who I am. Um, and even if people aren't proud of the way they live, there's always an excuse to defend themselves to say, well, it's not totally my fault, or, well, it doesn't really make sense to do that because that doesn't, that doesn't work. Well, but it works for that person. Well, yeah, but it just, that's not me. So it wouldn't work for me. But we often will 
get to the place where we have to choose what we are going to serve. We have to choose who and what we're going to get passionate about. This world offers a plethora of things to get passionate about. There's our careers that we can pursue. There's relationships that we can get invested in. There's people that we can seek after and rewards that we can attain. But yet, what we'll often find is that whenever we get to the end, whenever we finally achieve that thing that we wanted, it's just never quite as good as what it seemed like it, as what it seemed like from afar. And it, we, sometimes we get there and sometimes we don't, but in the pursuit of whatever that thing is, they always, we always find a way to somehow get burnt out. I think it's very interesting that NFL players who have reached the highest points as far as economically, financially, they've got all the fame they could probably want. Um, they are top of their game in athletics. They, but yet every single time, whenever they come out of retirement, there are so, they have such a high rate of just burnout, of depression that sets in. There's always, they become angry. They have such a high rate of uh, committing crimes after they've dropped out of the NFL because apparently all that fame and all that glory wasn't fulfilling enough. See, we're going to serve something. We're going to serve one master or the other, but there is not an option to serve neither. There is no middle ground to get the, boast, the best of both worlds. You either serve one or you serve the other. Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, there's not an option to serve one or the other. There's not an option to try to pick, to pick both. Whenever we choose what we are going to serve, eventually in life, we're going to run into the crossroads. We're going to have to choose something that we're going to get on fire about. We're going to have to choose something that we get passionate about. But God, you know, he has his preference too. He said in Revelation, I know thy works that you are neither cold nor hot, but I would rather that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, you didn't make a decision I will spew thee out of my mouth. There was always such an important emphasis on, on making a decision, on getting on fire about something, on picking something to be passionate about. And God has always been calling us to get passionate about him the same way that he is passionate about us. He's always been calling us to try to say, what if I could show you somewhere where you're not going to get burnt out? Where something that you're not going to get tired of. I could show you a peace that passes all understanding. I could show you a liberty that you've never known before. I could show you an all-powerful salvation that you've never had before. But it comes down to the point of decision where we choose day in, day out, whether I'm going to stay on fire or not. See, the thing about fire is that in order for the fire to stay lit, it has to keep moving. When you get on fire for God, what you do, even in the seasons of waiting, can be important. There was an evangelist who came up, who came up and spoke to us in Virginia named Justin Michael. He came up from Texas. 
And they knew that they had, he knew, he and his wife, they knew they had a call on their life in order to start a church there. And I believe it was Austin, Texas. And, but whenever they got down there, they followed the call of God and they found themselves in the waiting because God said, no, not yet. You're supposed to be here, but don't start your church yet. So they found themselves in a season of waiting. They found themselves not knowing what to do, even though they knew they had a calling. They knew they had an anointing. And they had decided that they were going to be on fire for God, but they just didn't know what to do in the waiting. They didn't know what to do while there was nothing else going on whenever they didn't have the promise that they knew they'd been given. So what did they decide to do? Well, they decided, you know what, even in this season of waiting, we're going to still keep moving. You know what, even in this season of waiting, there's still something we can do. So in between dedicating themselves to the word, they began to witness to people, as many people as they can in the area where they knew they were going to start their church. They even started a business, so that way they knew that their church, that churches often struggle whenever they get started up. So they decided, let's start a business. Well, after they managed, they finally get the call from God, and God says to start the church. They have this great influx of people, and yet the church still struggles. It still struggles financially, but it would turn out that during that season of waiting while they were working, it paid off because that business managed to finance their church entirely throughout their season of, their season of depression. They, there was an importance whenever they decided there was significance whenever they decided that they weren't just going to stand still in the season of waiting. They weren't just going to do nothing in a season of waiting. Because if you only stand still, you, the fire, it starts to die. And it starts to leave just nothing but charred remains. But fire, even whenever it's confined to a little fireplace, it's still moving. It's still doing something. It's still, even whenever we're in the, in the waiting there's still something to be said about, well, you know what? I can still press forward just a little bit further. I can press forward just a little bit harder. Oftentimes, we will find ourselves waiting for a sign to believe. We think that we're going, to, we're going to need some sign in order to really get our fire started. That we need some great miracle to happen in order to really launch our ministry forward. We think that something, that there has to be some great pillar of fire that falls down or that it has to be, oh, well, I received a personal healing and now I have a testimony that I can go share. We wait for a sign to believe, but you know what? Not even every apostle received a great miracle to follow Jesus. You know, Andrew and Philip, they didn't have, as far as we can tell, any great sign, any great miracle that happened before they were called. But Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. And Philip was in Bethsaida. And yet they decided that they were going to follow Jesus. Paul, he had this great sign, right, that pointed him towards Jesus. He, what, he had literally light shine down from heaven. But you know what? I think that Paul was still on fire before that. Because he was still trying to do what he thought was God's will. Now, don't get me wrong. He was burning 100 miles per hour in the wrong direction. But at the core of it all, he was still burning. At the core of it all, he was still seeking what God's will was. And God course corrected him. 
He needed the course correction, but God was willing to course correct him whenever he was moving. God was willing to course correct him whenever he had the right heart towards God, whenever he was going to seek after what God said and what God's will really was. Cornelius was the same. He lived for God. He lived for God and while it was while he was living for God that eventually he gets a vision from God and gets course corrected. But he already was on fire. He already gave. He already prayed. He already witnessed as far as we can guess. The waiting does not mean doing nothing, but we must be about our Father's business. The waiting, these signs shall follow, follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up servants, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. But oftentimes, it's the faith that precedes the signs, not the signs before the faith. We wait for something to happen. We're waiting for something to happen. Well, sometimes, you know what? We just got to keep marching around the walls because we've already got a promise that something is going to happen. So you know what? You just keep marching. You know what? You just keep praying. You know what? Nothing seems to be happening, but maybe it's because you need to march a little longer. Maybe it's because we need to pray a little bit harder. Maybe it's because we need to fast a little bit longer. Maybe it's because we need to witness a little bit more. There might not seem like there's anything going on, but God looks for heat. Whenever there's nothing... We can go to altar call after altar call and we can feel nothing happening. And we can feel like we're not making any progress. Even though we seem to pour out and give out our all whenever we get there. And yet... It seems like there's nothing. But sometimes being on fire is about continually moving. Being on fire is about seeking even whenever I'm in darkness. Whenever I'm in the valley, it's about seeking even whenever there is nothing that seems to be going on. When I burn, I would rather burn for something of eternal significance. I won't forget one of my friends at an altar call who had being, been offered all sorts of jobs while still pursuing his education. And he realized at one point that he'd allowed the pursuit of his career to take the time and place of his pursuit over what he knew the call of God on his life was. Because the other opportunities, they looked so good, they looked too good to pass up. But he came to realize that he wasn't burning the right way. You see, there's value in what you burn for. There's value in what you burn for. When we talk about the burning bush, your first thought is not one of the bushes, of the many bushes that burn from the heat in the desert. But there's only one bush that you think of. You think of the bush that burned for God in the wilderness. You think of the bush that, with the value of just that little bush, it was magnified whenever it burned for God. When you get on fire for God, you won't be burned. But like what awed Moses about the burning bush, the thing that grabbed his attention, it was that the bush could burn and burn, and yet it was not... It yet it was preserved. It was not burned. It was not consumed by the fire, but it, was, he did, it didn't face burnout whenever it was on fire for God. You burn for this world and you get burned out. It's just charred remains. But when you get on fire for God, the world gets turned upside down. What happened whenever 12 apostles got called by Jesus? People that nobody would have picked. People that nobody would have picked, but yet there was something that happened whenever they decided, you know what? We're going to get on fire. We're going to burn for this world. We're going to burn for God against this world in a way that's never been seen before. It is good to always be zealously affected in a good thing because those 12 apostles, they turned the world upside down whenever they decided they were going to get on fire. 
There's power whenever you get on fire. There's power and our witness and our testimony often comes whenever we are on fire for God and someone else notices that we didn't know, knew was noticing. A close friend of mine who um, also worked at the Chick-fil-A that we work at, she was a lifelong Muslim and she um, and not just raised in America, but raised in the Middle East um, and then moved here. So she had a very strong foundation in that. But I, as I would learn later that there was something that caught her attention about our youth group, because we have several members of our youth group that work there. And so she would hear, yes, people talk about miracles all the time and you know it's great you know people got delivered from this and that but you see you see our our youth group they weren't afraid to keep talking about everything that God was doing they never got they had decided that they were going to get to a point where we just didn't want to talk about everything that they were talking about so we decided that we wanted to talk a little bit. What if, we, what if we brought up the things that God was doing in the same conversations? What if we could bring up something? What if we could get excited about what God was doing, not just at church, but what if we decided we were going to get excited, that we were going to get on fire even at work? And so something that she started to notice, well, you know what? Whenever you guys would talk, you would be on break and you probably didn't even know I was listening, but... I would hear these miracles that you would talk about, and it just, it was different from what everyone else talked about. It wasn't quite the same. And so we invited her to church, and she came on that Wednesday, on a Wednesday night, on just a regular Bible study. We don't have some grand service at our church on Wednesday nights. It's just a, just a little Bible study. And she walked in, but the first thing that she felt whenever she walked through the doors, she turned to me and she said, you know what, there's something I, that I've never felt before in this place. There's something going on here that I've never felt before. And she might not have ever had a chance if we had not been willing to say, you know what, let's get on fire. Even whenever we're at the workplace, let's get on fire elsewhere. Let's get on fire and keep staying on fire. We decided we were going to catch fire, and that's whenever she decided that you know what? Maybe that's something worth pursuing. It was whenever she decided, it's whenever she saw that, hey, you know, there's something burning over there. Let me go check it out. Right. Let me go check it out. And she got, and then she got excited because then she would, she felt that over and over again. She felt that there was something different, but she might never have been able to come to that realization. She might never have been able to come to that realization if those kids in our youth had just decided, you know what, I, it, does, it seems kind of weird to talk about. It seems kind of weird to just live it. But they decided, you know what, we're going to get us excited about the things of God, even whenever we're just at the workplace, even whenever we're just at school, even whenever we're just elsewhere. But they decided that they were going to get on fire. They decided that they were going to get on fire no matter what. And so my brother can testify that we've had, we've had people coming over to 
from our Chick-fil-A for Bible studies. People have come to our church. They've received the Holy Ghost all because some kids in our youth decided, let's burn for something of eternal significance. Let's not just burn for what's going on in this world. Let's get excited, but everything we do, let it be as unto the Lord. Elijah found himself on the mountain, and he wanted to stay put. He wanted to let fear take him. You see, he'd been afraid because, as far as he thought, all the other prophets had been killed. And he was staying there in fear, ready and waiting to die. He didn't think he had any hope. He just asked that God would take his life. But whenever he got about the doing, whenever God told him to go, whenever he decided, you know what, I'm just going to keep marching on. There was a result he never would have seen coming because he was told to go and to, to go and to anoint some other king and to call some other guy to follow him. And whenever he did these things, somehow there's this epic chain reaction that led to his enemies being crushed under his feet, that led to every enemy being killed. It was all about whether he was going to listen to the call to go, whether he was going to listen to the call to get on fire, if he was going to just be moving, if he was just going to be finding something that he could be doing, then God was going to take care of the rest. God would take care of it. Whenever we get on fire... That word has to be inside of us like, like fire shut up in our bones. It can't just stay put. It can't just, it, it can't just stay inside. We know we've seen things. We're part of an awesome church. We're, we've seen God work amazing miracles. We've seen God do amazing things. He's brought deliverance to the captive. He's brought freedom to the slave. He's brought all sorts of salvation to all sorts of people. We know what we've seen. We know what we've seen, but we have to decide, is it something that we're going to catch fire about? Is it something that we're going to get excited about even whenever we're out at home, even whenever we're out in the workplace, even whenever we're out hanging out with friends, whenever we're out in our social setting? What you burn for is going to keep you going. What you burn for and what you get excited about. Jesus told two parables, a parable, parable about talents and a parable about seeds. You see, the parable of the master and his servants, two servants went with the talents they had been given, and they produced a profit with the talents given to them. But one went, and he buried his talent. He did nothing with it. And he got rebuked for it. Because the thing about a talent is that you can't just bury what you're good at. You can't just bury your talents. It might not seem like the right time and place for them, but there's still something you can be doing. I might, maybe I'm, I love to research, so maybe I'm going to start researching, you know, what does the word really say? What, maybe I love to be, I love baking, but there doesn't really seem to be an opportunity to bake. Well, you know what? What if I decided that I was going to maybe start a business with it? Bake a Bible study. Maybe I could call people in and reward them for sitting through a Bible study with what I can bake. Sometimes, but what we do bury is we bury a seed. 
The parable of the sower, he planted many different seeds. And he didn't just be very particular about where he planted the seed, but he threw it everywhere. It was everywhere that he went. He threw it on all sorts of different types of ground, but he was, he was burying seeds everywhere. You can't just do nothing with the talents and wait for God to do all the work. Fire spreads. It does not just stand still. You're here for a reason. You have a purpose. You have talents. It's about finding something to do with them, finding a way that I can burn with them. The harvest is ripe plenty. It's not a problem. It's not a problem of lackluster, of lackluster harvest. But the laborers are few to begin with. We must be active. Sometimes we trap ourselves into doing nothing because doing nothing can be pretty comfortable. Saying God will tell us when to move, but we're only willing to move if fire rains down from heaven. But seeking God's will is an action. It's ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Proverbs 28, 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The righteous in Proverbs 24, 16, they fall seven times, but the righteous rises again. It's all about staying on fire, staying in the movement, staying in motion. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to be on fire. They were willing to be on fire no matter what it took. Rather than worship something else, rather than serve another master... They understood that sometimes you've got to be willing to get on fire a little bit before the fourth man shows up. Sometimes you've got to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to get to a place where I'm going to seek the presence of the king even if I don't see a great sign. Even if I don't see what I'm, search, what I, what I'm searching for, I'm still going to push forward. I'm still going to seek. I'm still going to make some noise. I'm still going to lift him up. I'm still going to seek to stay on fire. Because whenever I burn, I'd rather burn for something that's going to last. I'd rather burn in a way that is going to be of eternal significance. When people start to notice, it will be, what, what will they notice? What kind of fire will they notice? What will they notice? Fire should be kept burning on the altar continually. It should not go out. It's all about fire. It's all about, can I stay on the right path? I know that sometimes I'm going to fall and sometimes I'm going to mess up. But you know what? God looks as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He, God weighs the heart. He's after your heart and he's after your motive. If you're willing to burn for him, he'll course correct you. But it's about getting started and it's about can I catch fire and stay on fire? Not just, not just in an altar call, not just in a short moment. But I want to catch fire and I want to stay on fire and I want to burn for the things that God would have me burn for. Not burn for the passion that is going to lead to burnout. Not burn for the things of this world that's ultimately going to lead to my destruction. But I know that whenever I burn for God, there's some eternal significance. Whenever I burn for God, there's something about I won't be consumed. Whenever I burn for God, there's something about, well, people will start to notice that, you know what, you, you stand out 
because the things you talk about, they, are, they, they aren't like what everyone else talks about. The way that you walk, it's not the, way, the same way that everybody else walks. The way that you live, it's not the same way that everybody else lives. Why are you so different? Why are you so peculiar? Well, it's because we've decided that we're going to catch fire. Stand with me, if you will. I'm closing. Whenever we decide that we are going to be on fire. There's something else that changes. There's something else that begins to change. Sometimes we have to be burning for quite a while before we find breakthrough. Sometimes we have to be burning for a little while. We have to decide that, you know what, this is really what I'm going to burn for. This is really what I choose before we find breakthrough. But at the end of it all, there's a crown to be worn. At the end of the race, there's a prize to be had. I never want it to be that I just get on fire because I had an emotional outburst, because I was really moved by the words that I heard. I never want it to be because just for a brief moment, but whenever I get on fire, I want it to be because of something that's more than just emotion, that's more than just... Sometimes the only thing that I can feel at an altar call. But I would rather get to a place where I can say that I know the living God. I'd rather get to a place where I can say that, you know what, I'm burning, I'm on fire, and I don't plan on stopping. If you'll raise your hands with me. It's not tonight just about just a significant altar call, but it's about, Lord, I want to stay on fire. It's about, Lord, my consecration to you. I need it to be more than just my emotion, but I want it to be everything. My emotion, my mind, my spirit, my strength, everything focused towards you. God, I want to pursue you and I want to burn with something of eternal significance. Whenever I burn, Lord, let it be fire that I won't be consumed with. Let it be fire that takes me to places I never thought I would go. Lord, I want your spirit inside of me and not what this world has to offer. Lord, I want to get on fire in a way that when, even whenever I'm in the darkest valley, I can say, you know what? I'm content right here. I'm content and I'm happy because my God is still with me. I'm content because I, you know what? Paul walked around saying, I am persuaded that there is nothing that could separate me from the love of God. I am persuaded whenever we walk around with that kind of consecration that I am persuaded there is nothing that can get in the way of what God is going to do with our ministry, with our anointing, the things that we thought couldn't be possible. He'll start to make it possible. With God, all things are possible, but it takes someone willing to step up and say, I am persuaded. 
I am persuaded that there is nothing that God can't do, that he can't do anything. He can do anything in this moment. He can do anything at home whenever I'm by myself. He can do anything. If, because I am persuaded, I have seen the greater things. I know that God is an awesome God, that he's living and that he's moving.